I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we settle our grudge against the episode of NXT that originally aired on February 5th, 2014. This episode is composed primarily of wrestling matches, and it does a lot of work in advancing various stories and feuds, but none of that gets the crowd as excited as the word ladder. <laughs> Welcome to episode 38 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we talked about Sirius Bodalis, the bizarrely wholesome friendship between Enzo and Cass, yeah. and just a lot of work being done to advance most of NXT's storylines as we move forward toward this live special that we're doing. This episode feels like a direct sequel to the last one in a way that NXT episodes don't always do. As yeah. we get advancements in many of those same stories, but we also tie up some loose ends from the past. And we'll hear all about that in Bob's breakdown before getting into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. Then we're going to mark out to the wrestling term of the week before finishing things off, as we always do, with the cheap pop quiz. But first, it's time to check in with last episode's cheap pop quiz, Bob has officially entered round five in the Get Miles to Read Romance Novels sweepstakes, so let's see how she did to kick that off. Question number one. The next episode of NXT contains yet another appearance by NXT dad and honorary naked mole rat, Triple H. Mm. He's here to announce that the upcoming NXT championship match between Bo Dallas and Adrian Neville will be a specific kind of match that has never been done in NXT before. What kind of match would that be? Is it A, a ladder match, where instead of winning by pinfall or submission, you win by climbing a ladder and retrieving the championship belt, which is suspended above the ring? B, a cage match, where the ring is surrounded by a roofless steel cage, and you can win by pinfall, submission, or escape? C, a tables match, where the only way to win is to put your opponent through a table? D, an Iron Man match, which has a set time limit, usually 30 or 60 minutes, and the goal is to score more falls than your opponent during that span. Or E, a tuxedo match, the male version of the type of match you win by stripping your opponent of their clothing. Bob, you didn't go with E. No. You, you didn't think you were lucky enough to get the tuxedo match between Neville yeah. and Dallas. You're right about that. You went with A, a ladder match, and you were correct. Yeah. Starting things off strong in the new round of quizzing. Question number two. The next episode also features a match between Aiden English and noted Canadian Tyson Kidd. Prior to the match, English mocks the Canadian national anthem with which of the following lyrics? A. Oh, Canada, your wrestlers are so weak. B. Oh, Canada. It's time to watch me win. C. Oh, Canada. I hope I make you cry. <laughs> D. 
Oh, Canada, you're all a bunch of plebs. <laughs> or E, oh, Canada. And then he just spits on the floor. <laughs> Bob. I know. I don't know how. I don't either. But you selected C, the one where he hopes he makes you cry, and you were correct. I honestly think it was your delivery. It was so good, and I was like, <laughs> oh, that's it. That's the one I want. I think it's because Aiden English has a really great mastery of his character, and you are picking that up, and only one of those answers really felt like true Aiden English. Although I did like your other answers that you came up with. Those were Thank all very you. fun. I appreciate it. Question number three. Which of the following does not describe Mike the Miz Mizanin, according to the Wikipedia page for The Real World Back to New York? A. He grew up the only child of divorced parents and found a sense of family within his college fraternity. That was the one you chose, Bob, by the way. Mm. B. He dropped out of college to join the cast of the show. C. He grew up in a conservative part of the country with a racist father and had never interacted with gay or black people prior to the real world, which caused some tension with other cast members. Mm. B. MTV described him as, quote, a chick magnet who is still naive about relationships and has a deep need to be loved. Or E. He describes himself as a drama magnet who gets bored at the absence of conflict. You selected A, as I mentioned, and unfortunately that was incorrect. Mm -hmm. The correct answer was E. He describes himself as a drama magnet who gets bored in the absence of conflict. That sentence or phrase rather occurs in the entry for a different cast member of the real world back to New York. That sounds a lot like a real world participant for sure. But still, two points right out of the gate. Yeah. Bob. Starting off strong. I think it's time to get into your breakdown. Yeah. The episode goes straight into it. Match one. Sin Cara has an outfit and it's so sparkly that it looks like my childhood bedroom. And it's really sweet. <laughs> and he's up against Rusev. Rusev has new music. It's some off-brand orchestral arrangement for villains. It's like villain composition number one. Is there such a thing as, like, Kenny G for villains? Because that is basically what it is. It's villain easy listening. Yeah, it's the one that starts off, uh, Rusev Pudria, Rusev Machka. And, that and is, then there's some cello. That is the uh, music that he will use for most of his main roster career. There's two occasions on the show where we're going to have to talk about this. Rusev, at this point is being prepared for his main roster debut. He's mm -hmm. they're getting ready to call him up. They have started airing uh, video packages with him and Lana talking about like how they're the Russian threat or whatever, uh -huh. um, because he is very quickly going to go from Bulgarian to just straight up Russian. <laughs> Spoiler <Okay>. alert. <laughs> Not in NXT, but definitely on Raw. Uh, so, yeah, that is the reason for the new music is because he is getting ready to uh, move on up. All right. So they lock up and already Sinkata is playing with the ropes. He does a backflip onto Rusev and then a bouncy backwards springboard off the middle rope. I think it's a springboard. Is that what that is? That's correct. Yes. He does yeah. a number of springboard moves in this match. Oh, man. I love a springboard. There's so much fun. There's really and something about a springboard. Yeah, it is. It's so satisfying. It looks like it's so much 
fun. It looks like what you imagine as a child it would feel like to be a wrestler. Yeah. I don't imagine it actually feels like that because those are like chains that are held together with tension <laughs> and like rubber. I don't think it's it it probably doesn't feel like being a bouncy castle, but there you go. Yeah. So he does a springboard and that lets Rusev get a hit on him, and now we get Rusev doing Rusev stuff. So mostly a lot of using his body weight and power to smash Sincara like like a parking lot French fry. <laughs> And Sincata battles back. So I guess this is Hope Spot stuff. Yeah, it's weird because uh, they didn't really shine the face at the beginning, as you would call it. Like, there was never really a moment at the beginning where Sincara uh, looked good, which I think has a which I think contributes to the crowd not caring as much about this match as they otherwise might have. Yeah. So Sincara with a lightness that made me go, is he not made of flesh and bone? Is he actually made of clouds and sparkles? Leaps to <laughs> Rusev's shoulders to do some classic head bonks from above. And Rusev falls forward, so Sincata splats face down on the mat. Obviously, yeah. this is accolade time, because now he's got him face down on the mat. Locks in the accolade, Sincata taps out. Rusev stands up, looks at his hands like, what kind of monster am I? And then a moment, <laughs> and he's like, a fucking cool one. <laughs> because he does the accolade again at the behest of Lana. And that is the end of that one. So you mentioned the hope spots. The hope spot is the spot where the babyface tries to come back but fails. So I think mm-hmm. what you were referencing is the the comeback spot, which is the one where they actually oh. succeed in the comeback. And I actually thought this match took like a while to get going and there wasn't really a great reason to be invested in it. But no. I I like the finish where Sin Cara is doing the comeback spot. He's kind of flying around. A lot of his springboard shit has like finally started to work and he's actually yeah. like stringing some offense together and he jumps on Rusev's shoulders so he's like basically being like piggyback you know on mm-hmm. on Rusev's shoulders which is a position from which you could in theory do another lucha move as he has been doing and Rusev just throws him down like straight forward and face plants him on the ground in front of him which like is the position he needs to be in for you to apply the accolade. And so he immediately applies the accolade and it's over. I thought it was a really great sequence to end the match, even though the match itself, you know, maybe not phenomenal overall. Yeah, I thought it was a really tidy ending. It felt narratively cohesive in a way that it doesn't always, but we will get into that because um, (laughs) Alicia Fox versus Emma. Emma looks very happy. I have missed her. I'm happy to see her. Um, She does her little dance. Alicia Fox mockingly does Emma's dance back at her. And now Emma's dances combatively, which is my favorite kind of Emma dancing. (laughs) They start locking up and experimenting with how bendy or not bendy shoulders and elbows are. It turns out not as much as you think, or perhaps exactly as much as you think, which is not very. (laughs) Emma tries to lock in the dilemma and it falls apart. It brings us then into the Northern Light suplex from Alicia Fox with that bridge that makes me jelly because it's so crispy. Yeah. They spend some time in the corner and Emma rolls backwards with Alicia Fox to get her in a butt to butt sandwich, a.k.a. the O'Connor roll, if you're going to be technical about it. (laughs) And it looks so messy. Miles, is this match just kind of sloppy? Like normally things don't look quite this like the move falls apart a little bit. Like it doesn't look like whenever Adrian Neville botched it by just going, fuck my face, I don't care, and just throws himself to the mat. This looked like they were trying and it just kind of all fizzled. Yeah, it it was an okay match overall. They definitely, some moments they weren't exactly on the same page. Like, you know, that O'Connor role, as you mentioned, was not the crispest thing in the world. She had to, she had to kind of work to get over on that. But honestly, like, I don't hate that. 
clearly okay. you want it to be better, but like it does suggest to me personally, and then I mean, maybe it's just me that like sometimes it's hard to roll somebody up, you know, and sometimes you need to kind of like mm. work. Oh, oh, and there we go. And she gets it. And like, I like that Tensai is on commentary going like, oh, come on, Emma. There you go. A little bit more, you know, and like, and then she gets the O'Connor roll. You know what I mean? So okay. I don't know. I didn't see this match as being particularly sloppy personally, but I okay. think that they're doing some things that have the potential to look really good and you've seen them look really good at this point mm-hmm. and so like when they look a little bit less crisp it can be it can be a little jarring that's that's my take on it okay i think it makes me nervous as a performer as somebody who's been on stage to see anything mm-hmm. go slightly weird yeah that i go oh god it's like somebody forgot their line and it's just a painful sort of quick somebody fill the silence right um and so for me i I guess that's the emotion that i get out of it but i that's a helpful perspective because you're right it isn't easy to roll somebody up and i i think it is then weird that wrestling always goes it's perfect every time unless it's not and you're right, right i i think that gives me an appreciation for it so thank you the match winds down after that as Emma gets Fox down into the middle of the mat and does her spidery backbend chin lock nastiness that makes me afraid for Emma's neck because she's putting a lot of her body weight onto her neck and that's not really what necks are for. <laughs> so the match ends, you know, Alicia Fox taps out and Emma gets on the mic just to say, hey, when Paige is better, we're going to fight. Yep. Dancing resumes and then the BFFs attack. All of them. I mean, kind of one by one ninja style. Then they all start attacking at the same time. They're kicking the hell out of Emma. And from the back comes Natalia and Bailey. And I am so excited because I have for months now been going, Emma and Bailey are the natural pair up because they're mm-hmm. both the, the kind, nice, bubbly people. Yeah. And so I don't know why we haven't been doing that other than that NXT is like, no, you can't put that much corn syrup in anything. Don't do that. <laughs> it almost but, feels like they're on like different levels. In a weird yes. way. Like, although I feel like they should interact more, but it definitely feels like Emma's kind of... Emma is doing her thing where she's, like, trying to get the title and she's fighting Natalia and Alicia Fox and these established divas, uh, so to speak. Whereas Bailey is kind of on the next level down doing these stories with the BFFs and uh, and all that. So Yes, agree. So I'm very excited. There's going to be like a kind of a super group of Emma, Bailey and Natalia. So I'm stoked. I'm I already can see this is going to be a trios match. Hopefully it's got some of that trios chaos, but we'll see. Match number three, Mason Ryan stomps the shit out of LaFort in like 90 seconds. I thought they were going to hurt my feelings by having LaFort win somehow through mischievous means. And they didn't, um, which I was glad about. Right. I remember you predicting that. Yeah, I was very afraid of that. So I'm very happy to be wrong. Highlights, he drops LaFour onto the top rope and LaFour bounces off. He picks up LaFour from behind and slams him back first in the mat, pins him and it's over. So <laughs> I'm as happy to see my pony as always. I wish they let him do more fun stuff because I want to see somebody the size of Mason Ryan sell the shit out of like a tilt-a-whirl head scissors or something. Like, yeah. But I will take my equine content where I can get it. I'll have more to say about this uh, later on oh, in the show. Oh, no. All right. So backstage, Hayden English is so pissed that his foot was run over by the wheelchair of Enzo Amore, 
which is technically true in that Enzo Amore has a chair and it does have wheels on it. <laughs> and now he's going to fight Tyson Kidd. I already forgot why, but I'm happy <laughs> about it because Aiden English is doing some quality heel work and he sings, Oh Canada, I hope I make you cry. And it's fantastic. Well, he's fighting Tyson Kidd because Tyson Kidd is his opponent for the evening. Like, you know, it's... it's oh, okay. I thought maybe know. it was related. No, no, no. It's one of those things where it's like, you remember, like... This is a workplace drama. Sometimes you show up to work and you have to wrestle a match against somebody and tell, they tell you who it is. You know what I mean? So, mm, like, true. the match ends up advancing the uh, the beef between English and Cassidy. Um, oh, so fun. But, yeah, in terms of, like, why he's wrestling kid, it's just because his job is to wrestle. And that's who he's wrestling tonight. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Backstage also, LaForce swears revenge on Mason Ryan. Like, fair enough. I am not at all sure how you get revenge on a person that's like a literal mountainside. But again, <laughs> fair enough. Like, if you want to scream at Mount Snowden, you go right ahead. Yeah, absolutely. It's cathartic. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you just want to go out and scream at the land. Just say, <laughs> being out here, being all big, majestic, fuck get the you. fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be majestic. And the land's like, nah, sorry. Yeah. Gotta have these mountains. Match number four. Tyson Kidd versus Aiden English. I really enjoyed it. Tyson Kidd is legitimately great at wrestling. Like. Miles, he's so good. Yeah, no, he's really good. <laughs> he does a fun thing where he slings a knee over English's neck and then propels off him to do a backflip. And mm. then he grabs English's shoulders and pops up both legs into a ball, feet braced on English's chest, and then falls back, throwing English onto the ropes. I've seen that done from behind, and they call it, like, sometimes a lung blower, or there's another name for it as well. Is it still called that when it's from the front? Because then it's like you're not blowing the air out of somebody. You're just, I mean, I guess you are, but you're also just like, fuck your digestive tract. Yeah, so with a lung blower, what you're doing is your, or as it's often referred to in WWE as a backstabber. There um, we go. What you do is you come up to somebody from behind, you grab their shoulders, you like jump and pull them back onto your knees as you fall backward. Oh, right? your knees. Yeah, okay. it's on your knees. The move that Kid executes here is a monkey flip. Okay, I've seen those before and I freaking love a good monkey flip because the other person goes flying. They're facing each other. Kid jumps on his shoulders, kind of puts his legs into his midsection, falls back and flips English head over ass. They are similar moves, though. Similar motion to execute them. A version of the lung blower, like what the lung blower would look like if you did it to somebody when you're face to face with them instead of facing their back. That is basically what the code breaker is. Ew, ew. So like the code breaker, okay. Chris Jericho's move is like you jump onto them and pull them down, pull like their face down onto your knees. Okay. So. All right. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. So kid runs at him and English dodges, causing kid to bounce and tangle in the ropes. And it looks so good and so rough and messy, but in like a very, it's messy because he threw his whole body at it. Yeah. And that's why. And I love that, even though I'm like, this is a dangerous job that you do. And I worry about your health. I'm so but, glad you mentioned that moment. That really stood out to me in this match. The way that Kid yeah. like hits the ropes, he's running at English, trying to hit him with something, and English moves. And usually, like when you do that, they hit the turnbuckle, or you know, they go flying to the outside or something. Yes. Or you hit, hit, hit a person behind them, or whatever. in this one, he throws his body into the top and the second rope, and like bounces off of them, and it looks so fucking painful. It does. It really does. And then. I don't know if 
it's the hope spot, but Kid comes back to do a series of really loud kicks to English. English gets Kid in the head, and then Kid sticks his head between the ropes after a really cool skin the cat, which gives English the opportunity to pop him in the face. And then, as Byron Saxton puts it, oh, for Pete's sake. (laughs) It's the mildest language. I loved it. Because Colin Cassidy comes out and he starts putting on English's beret and scarf and English is like, you take those off. Don't get your plebeian germs on it. (laughs) But behind him, Kid is on the top rope. And when English turns back to the match at hand, he gets taken down and pinned and Kid wins. I am so into Cassidy just fucking with other people's gimmicks. Like, I just want him to start shit with everybody. Like, start shit with the Ascension. Come out with a really huge turtleneck. Come out riding one of those rat-ass chain bikes that Camacho has. Just start, like, the buffet of gimmick sampling. I I want that. There was also a really uh, fun moment in this match where uh, where Kid briefly makes fun of English's gimmick. And uh, I think that's one of the nice things about English's shtick is that it's so easily, like, parodied, you know? Ugh, I love it so much. If you're a heel and your gimmick can't be parodied, what are you doing, you know? I guess yeah. unless you're doing, like... I'm a monster kind of thing, which is, it's fine, I <laughs> Unless guess. Unless you want to be, like, cool and actually menacing, I guess. And now we come to match five, the main event. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> Adrian Neville, who is a perfect angel, who I love, comes to the ring. Corey Graves slouches to the ring like his parents said he had to be there. Neville dominates the early part of this match. So Graves oils to the outside to hide and Neville follows him out there. And then when Graves gets back in and Neville follows him, he strikes. Boo. I knew that was going to come because you'd explained to me that that's what heels do. And I was pissed yeah. off about it. Yep. Byron Saxton vigorously argues that Neville is the asshole because injuring Graves took away Graves drifter lifestyle. okay i don't even know what to say byron saxton he was so unmoored he was free he could do whatever he wanted and adrian (laughs) neville forced him to sit at home what a bastard like he's really what saxton is really trying to back up these heel takes with like some sort of logic he's doing his best bless him yeah Uh, so they do the inside and outside of the ring thing again Yeah. It's kind of fun this time because when Graves goes to the outside, Neville does a cool flip and bowls over Graves. But when Neville gets back to the ring, Graves attacks him again. It's like, come on, Adrian Neville, you know how this works. (laughs) So back from commercial, Neville's in the middle of the ring being worked over with a buffet of holds and punches. Corey Graves focuses on Neville's knee, butt dunking on it as it's laid across the rope. So the knee is being stressed sideways, which is not how knees work. So you can imagine that it would be unpleasant. But Duncan, it is kind of what he's doing. And I was like, do you just have, you know, a perineum of steel or a perineum of steel? (laughs) But I guess he does because he's doing it. Someone screams, Corey, you're a loser. And I was like, (laughs) I mean, look, you shouldn't say that, though. That's rude. I don't care that that's the reality. It's still rude to yell it at somebody while they're at work. (laughs) You save that hot take for whenever you're driving by in your car. No, don't do that. That's mean. Corey takes it personally, and he does this big old nasty backbreaker on Neville. Neville does get to his feet and kicks Graves right in the head, laying him out. He gets to the top turnbuckle and does the red arrow, putting away Graves and ending the match. So that was really nice. And then... 
the real reason that this match happened at all so that Bo's music can start. And he comes out in a suit and it's again, not a fitted suit. They, they almost never are, but it's better than I've seen it sometimes. And he starts rolling up his sleeves and he's not doing his bow smile. He's just looking serious and spooky. Yeah. And serious bows again here. Yeah. And I'm not into this because I'm like, no, Adrian Neville's injured. Leave him alone. But then Triple H's music start. NXT daddy comes out, announces that the championship match is going to be a big deal. So it's going to be a ladder match. And the crowd goes apeshit. And then they see Adrian Neville's face going like, yeah, ladders. I love something that allows me to be taller. (laughs) All right, Bob. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown. Always appreciated. What did you think of this episode as a whole? It was pretty good. There were some good moments. Tyson Kidd's great. I'm starting to really appreciate him. Yeah. I still like Adrian Neville. I will always like Adrian Neville, even if he is wrestling somebody who's kind of boring. I could have done with a little less wrestling and a little more bullshit. Sure. But, you know, solid. Solid. And most of the wrestling was fine to interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And the matches were okay. I, I think the there was really only one backstage segment, which was LaFord swearing revenge on Mason Ryan. These episodes where they're almost entirely like wrestling matches are really hit or miss. Because like sometimes it's like, here's like three or four matches or whatever, and like maybe two of them are super good, you know? And mm-hmm. you know, but with most of these matches are pretty short, you know? Yes. And kind of not a lot to sink your teeth into necessarily. So yeah. They're honestly not super great matches for like analyzing based on like the hope spot comeback spot stuff as we were talking about because they're not formatted quite in that way because they're so short. Like they're two, three minutes long, you know, one thumb up, one thumb sideways. That's fair. All right. It is now time for the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. So, Megan Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? Corey Graves has a rosary now? <laughs> I It just didn't seem to be related to anything else in his character that I could discern because I wasn't, I didn't remember rosaries being part of, I don't know, the kind of gutter punk scene. So yeah. I'm just going, is this for you? If so, why have you not had one previously? Like, so Eddie Kingston, who I deeply love and cherish in all his forms, he's probably very problematic. I don't want to know. Uh, um, no, as far as I know, he is actually one of the good ones. Oh, thank God. All right. He has two rosaries to show you, like, how much he's going to kick your ass, but also he'll cry while doing it because he's he's got a big heart, but also he'll murder you. Right. Um, and I was sort of like, okay, I get why Eddie Kingston has these two rosaries. Like, that makes sense. Corey Graves, what are you doing with, like, I thought maybe he'd have mala beads or something, like, right. for meditation, which I don't know why that would make sense either, but I don't know. It was just very odd. Yeah, his weird makeover is a little bit off, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a little muddled. Miles, what did your elf eyes see? Uh, my elf eyes saw the change in lighting during the Sin Cara match, which I had forgotten was a thing that WWE used to do for Sin Cara matches. Oh, um, yeah. I, I don't notice. know if you noticed this, but the uh, the lighting on the ring and on the crowd during the Sin Cara Rusev match is like dimmer and like kind of 
a blue and yellow in a weird way that like matches his color scheme. Oh. Um, it doesn't do anything for the match. It makes it harder to see. It makes it harder <laughs> to be interested in it. Uh, in my opinion, it actively hurt this contest. And WWE's experiments with weird lighting during a wrestling match have never, ever, ever, ever gone well. Uh, and I hope yeah. you don't have to deal with it super long. I get that lighting design matters. I get it from a stage perspective. But boy, if you do it wrong, you're just throwing mud in the water and you're like, let's ruin this or at least let's make this unnecessarily complicated. And it's like most of the time, a basic wash on the stage is enough. Yeah. And the time to do weird lighting shit is during the wrestler's entrance. Like do all the weird lighting shit you want to during the wrestler's entrance or like really any time when a match isn't happening. But when the bell rings, like I really feel like. The wrestling match itself should be lit a certain way and without bells and whistles, just like show us what's happening in the ring. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right, Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? I worry that we heard the same one because it was so good. Okay, tell me. Last week, I threatened a man in a wheelchair. I'm not ashamed of it. (laughs) Fucking tremendous. Like the heelest of heel lines that's from Aiden English, and it yeah. is delivered with a certain note of, like, pride, even. It's amazing. <laughs> 10 out of 10. I still love that he just threatened him and, like, and, yeah, and didn't right? actually do anything. He just threatened him. <laughs> and they could have done something very easily. They could have just, like, knocked the chair over and had him laying on the ground a bit. And they didn't even do that. They're just like, nah, I just threatened him. Yeah, it's like Aiden English is a bad guy, but he's not that bad. You know, he wouldn't actually (laughs) hit the guy in the wheelchair. He can be proud of threatening him, though. (laughs) Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? Just a weird little thing that stood out to me for some reason. So when Emma comes out, the commentary actually, I thought, did a pretty decent job in this episode overall. I'll allow it. I didn't have a ton of complaints. Saxton was annoying. But, you know, like they were talking about how Emma had like recently made her main roster, her first main roster appearance, which was true. She made it during a dance off. Uh, on Raw, and she did her weird Emma dance, but the Raw audience had zero context for it, so they had no idea what they were seeing and didn't really, like, cheer her, even though they were supposed to. Anyway, uh, the point is, there's this moment when she comes out and Tensai starts going, I love Bubbles! Oh my god. He stands up and starts doing the dance, he's, like, going crazy for Emma, and there's this weird moment from Tom, where it's just like, Tom so often feels like an automaton, no pun intended. Mm, yeah. He just feels like he's re- kind of reading a script or like, you know, just programmed to do play by play in a very specific way. But there was this really neat little human moment from Tom when Tensai is doing this stuff and he just kind of cracks up a little bit. And it made me really happy. He had to kind of like audibly pull himself back together for a second during Emma's entrance. And I just really enjoyed that. All right. That's very sweet. I appreciate that. Bob, what did your human heart feel? actually a little bit of fear of Bo Dallas. Yeah. I mean, not terror because it's wrestling and it's a TV and it happened seven or more years ago. But yeah, do you know what I mean? That feeling of, oh, oh, shit. This character actually is for reals in terms of wanting to hurt somebody and they're not going like, oh, I just want to win. He didn't look like, oh, I just hope I scrape a turnbuckle shenanigans victory out of this. The expression is one of, I hope I wreck Adrian Neville. And I'm like, no, don't wreck Adrian Neville. So (laughs) it's starting to work for me. Bo's dark turn is really, I'm enjoying it. And Miles, what did your human heart feel? 
I had feelings about the storyline between Sylvester LaFort and Mason Ryan, and I don't understand entirely why, but mm-hmm. uh, this is a thing that's happening. You know, when this storyline was first going, like, I'm pretty sure it just kind of got universally shit on, and I understand why. Like, it's not oh, much yeah. of a story. No. Like you said, the logical move would have been to have LaFort somehow find a way to win, and that would be, like, the next logical step in the storyline. Instead, what they're doing is LaFort just gets his ass kicked. Presumably, he's going to try and find someone to, like, kick Mason Ryan's ass. And that's probably not going to go well, because I don't remember the storyline being notable at all. But (laughs) the point is, look, the point is that, like, I am feeling this weird amount of sympathy for Sylvester LaFort throughout our entire coverage here. Like, the, the poor guy, I get that he's a sleazy businessman and I shouldn't feel bad for him, but, like... He starts off with Scott Dawson and Garrett Dillon. Dillon gets fired or whatever. Yeah. So he just has Dawson. Dawson breaks his leg. He's got Rusev. Rusev turns on him for Lana and, like, shoves his money in his mouth. And he Rusev beat the crap out of him in the ring. And now he's trying to hold auditions to see who his new client is going to be. I mean, and yes, sure, he's being an asshole about it. But he's still, like, this is a thing that he's doing that has nothing to do with Mason Ryan. And Mason Ryan shows up. And he's like, hey, are you here to audition? And Mason Ryan is like, no, I mean, yes, but only if you fight me. And Sylvester (laughs) LaFort comes out. He's wearing tights that aren't like hashtag butt watch. There's nothing on his butt. Yeah, they're not his tights. They're probably somebody else's that he had to borrow because he's not a wrestler. Gets in the ring with this mountain of a man, as you said, Bob, because this is the only way he can do his job. He wants to get this guy. You know, there's always a shot, right? Yeah. And then just gets leveled and then like goes backstage. and just, I, just, I don't know. Like you were talking earlier, Bob, about yelling in the mountain, right? Yeah. And it's like I just get this very human like nothing goes right for this man. He's up against forces that are bigger than him and that he can't possibly overcome, but he can't help but just... (laughs) He is like a, I don't want to say more successful version of Gil from The Simpsons, but a version of (laughs) Gil from The Simpsons. That's a great comparison. That's actually a really great comparison. (laughs) Well, those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. It is now time for the wrestling term of the week, or rather it will be... After we hear Bob's fanfic explaining last episode's wrestling term of the week, which was spot. This is a bit of a present for both of us. Mr. Darcy stood in the ring, gazing with measured hope at Elizabeth. The crowd was eerily silent, rustling in their seats. He cleared his throat and began haltingly. I know that you have rejected me once for reasons I can now see were quite just, but my admiration of you remains undimmed and I would ask again if you would have me as your tag team partner. Elizabeth, you are too generous to trifle with me. If your feelings are still what they were last April, tell me so at once. My affections and wishes are unchanged, but one word from you will silence me on this subject forever. The crowd bubbled with gasps of shock. Lizzie's brow shot up in surprise. Darcy, I... What is this? What are you doing? Darcy got down on one knee. Elizabeth, Lizzie, this is my hope spot. It may be a failed attempt to regain the ground I have lost with you through my own foolishness and pride, but I would make it anyway in the hopes that it succeeds. Lizzie's eyes filled with joyous tears as she shook her head. No, Darcy, this is your comeback spot. You have shown me 
that you are a man I can trust both in the ring and outside of the ring. You have my affection and I will consent to be your tag team partner now and always. Darcy smiled a rare and brilliant grin. You have made me the happiest wrestler and indeed the happiest man in the history of this promotion. I pray that I shall never give you cause to regret your choice, Lizzie. Lizzie kissed him to the screams of the crowd, then whispered in his ear, With you by my side, I could never regret anything. Aww. I know. Thanks, as always, to David Waters for the gift of Pride and Pinfalls, a universe that we love visiting so much. Uh, it's been too long since we were it in the world of Pride and Pinfalls. Long. And that was a beautiful way of explaining some of the spots that we talked about last time. And I mean, like, God, there's such a strong history of, of proposals in wrestling, too. Like, not usually, like, down on your knee to ask somebody to be a tag team partner with you, but, like, you know, mm. actual proposals. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful Yay. stuff. Thank you so much, Bob. Uh, let's get into this episode's wrestling term of the week. Uh, much like last time, we are going back to basics a little bit and explaining some terms that you might have heard used that are somewhat elemental to the uh, the world of pro wrestling. This episode's wrestling term of the week is Mark. Okay, finally, I'm going to learn some goddamn things. I know kind of what it means, but I there's probably a ton to it that I yeah. don't understand. Yeah, strap the fuck in for this one. Okay. Like Spot, Mark is a term you will rarely if ever hear within the fiction of a wrestling show, especially a wrestling show produced under the auspices of WWE. It's a term used to talk about wrestling as a medium, and specifically to talk about wrestling fans. At the very beginning of this show, we discussed wrestling's origins in the circus and carnival scene of the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Wrestling was entertainment, but it was also a scam a means of parting the gullible from their money. Mm-hmm. Step right up. Don't be shy. Surely one of you can last a mere five minutes in the ring with Morgan the Blood Drinker. <laughs> and surely the rest of you want to place a wager on it. Yeah, right? Everybody come on up. The fundamental thing that makes wrestling different from any other medium, the fact that it's a predetermined choreographed facsimile of athletic competition, goes back to the decision made by carnival barkers in post-Civil War America to cheat their audiences... by staging the outcomes of wrestling matches. It was a con. And naturally, the people running the con referred to their targets as marks. Mm. Side note, uh, this wasn't in my script, but uh, I talked to one of our patrons, David Kehoe, uh, about this a little bit as I was writing. And he informed me that according to something he read, um, the reason that the victims of a con are called marks is because sometimes what you do, if you're like the carnival barker, say, in this case, is you like put like some powder on your hand and you Mm. like slap the person on the back. And so you literally mark them for the other con men to like tell them, hey, this guy right here can be fleeced. Oh, that's brilliant. I can see the need to do that, especially in crowd scenarios. Of course, even in those early years, a large portion of the audience understood the true nature of wrestling and just kind of went along with it because it was fun. But there were always some who thought it was real, and you could generally make some money from those suckers. Mm. As time went on and wrestling became a legitimate entertainment product, the number of true believers declined but never completely went away. I can personally tell you that in 2010, when a friend of mine and I were standing in line to get into the arena for WrestleMania 26, we encountered at least one individual, like an adult, a grown man, who was absolutely positive that wrestling was real. Oh, wow. This guy wasn't getting conned out of his money. He was a legitimate customer. But he did buy into the narratives and characters presented on screen, and as a result... 
it was probably way easier to sell him, say, WrestleMania tickets and yeah. get him to spend big at the merch table. So when I first started watching wrestling, the term Mark pretty much referred to a person who didn't understand that wrestlers were playing characters and that the outcome of every match and storyline was staged. Now, this changed somewhat with the rise of the Internet and specifically the rise of the so-called Internet wrestling community. Now, these were the extremely online wrestling fans who read dirt sheets to find out what was going on behind the scenes, discussed wrestling as a collaborative art form rather than a competition, and held strong opinions on the decisions made by wrestlers and promoters. This type of fan became known as a smart mark, mm. or more commonly, a smark. And it was used derisively by many wrestlers and members of the industry who didn't appreciate that these fans thought they knew what was going on and how wrestling worked, despite never having set foot in a ring. In the late aughts and early tens, there was an actively antagonistic relationship between wrestling and the internet as a whole, particularly in WWE, who would often insert snarky little inside jokes making fun of online fans into their programming, oh. and who were frequently accused of changing their storylines in ways that didn't make narrative sense, in an attempt to, quote, work the smarks. In other words, to stick it to the fans who thought they knew what was going to happen by changing things up at the last minute. Oh my god, why would you shoot yourself in the foot like that? <laughs> and in this context, the term mark kind of took on a different meaning. As opposed to smarks, a mark was someone who enjoyed wrestling uncritically, who didn't care about what was happening backstage and was happy to go along with whatever storyline Vince or whoever wanted to tell them. And of course, they were happy to buy merchandise. They didn't mind financially supporting the company. They had no qualms about that. It also started getting used as a verb in addition to a noun. And that's actually still the case. To mark out for something or someone, is to be sucked in by the fiction and react emotionally as though wrestling is real because whatever is happening is so fun or so cool that you're able to move past your logical brain and just be super excited about it. And that's actually, like, made its way into the popular zeitgeist in a weird way. Like, people even who aren't wrestling fans kind of know what marking out means. Yeah. Over the last five years or so, things have changed again. Mainstream wrestling, at long fucking last has embraced the internet rather than dismissing it, and there are more extremely online wrestling fans than ever. In a world where wrestlers regularly break kayfabe on social media, discuss the art of wrestling on podcasts, and make money on the side via Cameo, Twitch, and OnlyFans, the idea of a smark is functionally obsolete. Everybody's a fucking online wrestling fan now. Mm -hmm. In the same way that geek culture has been subsumed by the mainstream, the idea of being a wrestling fan who's interested in backstage happenings and has opinions about booking decisions has been pretty thoroughly normalized. So as a mm -hmm. result, Smark has largely gone away, and Mark is once again the preferred term of derision for wrestlers and people in the industry, usually older ones who don't like where wrestling is going, to refer to fans in general. So it all comes full circle. Oh my god, that's amazing. That was a lot, I know, uh, but you should have plenty of material for, uh, for the upcoming fanfic, which our listeners can hear in our next episode. I do want to ask one question about the term because yeah, I've heard it and I've even used it reflexively in this way to say, I've heard you say, I'm such a mark for XYZ thing. Yes. And I have even said, I'm a mark for XYZ thing. 
Can you talk about that usage a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically if you're a mark for something, it means that in some part of your brain, you recognize there are problems here or that like whatever you're marking out for, like doesn't hold up under scrutiny or something like that. But uh-huh. like you love it anyway. Like, Bob, you're a phantom of the opera, Mark. Oh, God, I am. It's you're so a total mark for phantom of the opera, even though you know it's problematic, even yes, though you know is. there's a lot of like discussions to be had about it. But you just fucking love it. It gets you excited. It gets you going to be a mark for someone or something has come to mean essentially that feeling like, OK, yeah, I know, but I just love it. And there's not a word for that that I'm aware of other than mark. And I think it's really yeah. interesting because it's such an important word to have. And I tried to think of, is there another word for it? And I couldn't think of one. Yeah, it's a really weird, like, again, something that in no strange way could only come from pro wrestling, where there are these two layers, you know, yes. and it's like, man, I really want to buy into this fiction. I'm really enjoying the product that's being televised. I'm going to allow myself to just be excited, be swept away by what I'm seeing, as opposed to thinking about it critically, which I might do later, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Or in another context. So yeah, really interesting term, and I look forward to hearing your fanfic about it. Yeah. Alright, Bob, well, I think that's going to have to wrap it up for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan, but we can't do that until we complete the Cheap Pop Quiz. Alright. Question number one. Aiden English has a new song for us on the next episode, Bob. And he's showing off his modern nerd cred. Oh? Which celebrated 2000s geek musical is Aiden English pulling from in this parody? Okay. Is it A, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark? Oh my god. B, Dr. Horrible's Sing Along Blog? Mm. C, Repo, the genetic opera. D, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode entitled Once More with Feeling. <laughs> or E, Spamalot. Ooh, I'm going to go with Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. Okay. It seems like the right time period for it in a way that it doesn't quite feel right to me for the others, but I don't know. And I don't okay. know Repo at all. All right. Question number two. English's singing isn't the only notable mic work on the next episode. Which of the following does not occur? Is it A, Paige comes to the ring to inform Emma that she's healed from her injury and that their women's championship match will take place at the upcoming live special now officially known as NXT Arrival. B, Sami Zayn and Cesaro come to the ring and discuss Zayn's request for a rematch openly referencing their history with one another prior to NXT. C. C.J. Parker turns heel by cutting an in-ring promo in which he blames the NXT audience for the destruction of the environment. D. The Wyatt family makes a brief return to NXT, and Bray Wyatt cuts a promo about how they haven't forgotten where they came from. Or E. Just kidding, all of the above totally take place. I have to go with E. I have I know you to. Do. I know. I knew it when I wrote it. I know it now. <laughs> I'm nothing if not predictable. <laughs> we'll see if you go with E for this one. I'm a mark for all of the above. <laughs> That's me. Question number three. As if to drive home the promo-centric nature of the next episode, which of the following wrestlers appears in the main event? And by appears, I mean wrestles in the main event. Okay. Is it A, 
Colin Cassidy. B. Mojo Rawley. Oh, he's been away for a while. C. Jason Jordan. D. A jobber we haven't met before named Marcus Louis. Or E. Both C and D. You know, this is the main event? The main event. And it's who did appear, right? Who was in the match, yes. Okay, I feel like they're doing stuff with Colin Cassidy. It makes sense that they would have him because they're kind of playing around with that character. It's weird that it would be a main event, but it makes more sense to me than the other ones. Although, Lord knows things making sense is not necessarily a reason to pick anything when it comes to pro wrestling or indeed NXT. That's fair. Uh, All right, your answer is A, Colin Cassidy, and uh, we will learn the results of that quiz on our next episode. Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bob, as always, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me on this ride, this road trip through the world of NXT of yesteryear or more than yesteryear. And a quick announcement that I wanted to make is I'm switching to they, them pronouns. She, her is fine if you're into that sort of thing. I wouldn't say that they, them is necessarily my first choice, but my first choice was a screech in the darkness and that's not available (laughs) as a pronoun. And so they, them is perfectly acceptable in lieu of that. (laughs) I want cryptid pronouns, but no one was willing to do those. Apparently you can't be a gender cryptid. Apparently, that's not allowed, according to the rules of language. Well, Bob, since it is your first choice moving forward, I will be uh, using they, them pronouns for you um, in future episodes. I will probably slip a couple of times. Mm, Of course. So just, you know, be prepared for that. And I think probably we haven't discussed this beforehand, but um, if I do slip while we're recording, I'll probably leave it in. Yes. Um, I think we both want to make it clear that, you know, these things happen. It's not a huge deal. It doesn't need to be a huge deal. Just correct yourself and move on. Absolutely. And I struggle with they, them pronouns for myself and others. They, them is the hardest one to wrap your brain around. I suppose some of the neo pronouns are a little bit more challenging since... They're yeah. not words that everybody has used before. But yes, I I am perfectly fine with leaving that in. In fact, I do want it left in. If you make mistakes, if anybody else talking about me makes mistakes, that is perfectly acceptable. It is a process and it takes, oh man, it takes a goodly while. Incidentally, if you don't hear me screw up ever, that just means I'm fucking perfect and awesome. So in your face. <laughs> <laughs> Canon. <laughs> Hey, speaking of people who are perfect and awesome, really want to thank all of our patrons uh, who have been supporting us this whole time. We have been struggling for a while with what to do about this whole thing that I said I was going to do with the the wrestling video game and everything. Uh, Just hang tight, everyone. We're we're figuring stuff out. There's been some wrenches thrown in the gears. We'll get into it more later. But uh, there is something coming with that. I promise. Just just bear with me. Oh, there is. There's definitely something coming um, as I have to produce something for it. So there we go. <laughs> Bob knows. However, while you wait, there have been some uh, new developments in the Next Wrestling Fan podcast feed. Yeah. In case you missed it, uh, there was a little bit of a Christmas gift for all of you on Christmas Day in our feed just before episode 37 was released. Uh, And that was the podfic that Bob and I put together for Lucky Tiger, which was the um, fanfic written by Sanadyne over on AO3 about Bo Dallas. (laughs) 
So tremendous. A um, masterpiece. You should read it on AO3 and you should listen to it. It is an experience for the soul, the brain. I don't know, something beyond yourself. It's extraordinary. Yeah, it's really good. We've been meaning to do it for a while. It took us a while to get it together and then an even longer time for me to actually finish working on it. Um, but we did bring in uh, the incomparable Dan Mulcairin to play Bo Dallas and uh, my very good friend, Ben Kessler, uh, a.k.a. my British friend. Uh, <laughs> hopefully he's not listening to this. I don't think he listens to any of my podcasts. <laughs> He's technically my, like, half-British, half-Irish friend, but whatever. He's my British friend. He's also Ooh, a huge William Regal fan. There's like, a whole historical thing look, there. Look, I'm not getting into it right now. I don't have all my facts, all right? Okay. <laughs> ben is a huge wrestling fan, a huge William Regal fan going way back, and uh, we brought him in to play William Regal, and he did a fantastic job. Bob and I also have uh, parts in the uh, pod fic yeah. as well. So go check that out. It's called Lucky Tiger. It's the Christmas Day episode. Um, not very long. And also, more recently, on our feed, you can now find our bonus episode covering the first two episodes of What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, that is currently up and available to you as a result of our uh, wonderful supporters and the people who contributed to the raffle that we held to raise money for the Democrats running in Georgia for the Senate. Yes. Um, so thank you, everybody who contributed to that. Thank you to David Waters, who is the one who won that raffle and thus selected us to do the first two episodes of What We Do in the Shadows, which Bob had never seen. Although she has, Indeed. I'm sorry, although they had seen the movie. See, there you go. Yes. Already not perfect. Already not perfect, Bob. That's okay. No one is perfect. No one. It's actually kind of nice to just like get that out of the way, get that off my chest right, right now. Absolutely. Anyway, so check that out. As it happens, we are recording this outro on uh, January 5th, the day of those Georgia runoff elections. So we will know very soon whether or not that actually happened. But even if it didn't, regardless of how it actually goes, as we said on the episode, uh, the important thing is that we tried. Uh, you all oh, yeah. showed up in a big way to, to help with that. We really appreciate you for it. And we hope you enjoy uh, the What We Do in the Shadows episode. Yes. And if you, for some reason, cannot get enough of my dulcet tones and want to hear my thoughts about strategies for choosing a bathroom stall and other <laughs> topics, you can hear all of that and more on part two of Ego Impermanence and Sexy Fruit, which is from the <laughs> Ambient Conversations podcast that my friend Marika Jackson does. It's lovely. Miles can speak to it more, yeah, I think. I checked out the episode of Ambient Conversation that Bob was on, and I really found it such a unique and, like, rewarding experience to listen to. For those who haven't heard it yet, um, Ambient Conversation doesn't, like, really have much of an intro. It doesn't follow a traditional podcast format, as far as I can tell, where it's like, hi, welcome to Ambient Conversation. My name is Marika Jackson, and here today with me is my friend Megan Bob. Like, that's not how the show works. You're just, like, kind of dropped into a really beautiful, quiet, friendly easygoing conversation that shifts and changes and moves on to new subjects as any conversation between friends would. It's just remarkable. I was truly blown away by what this podcast achieved. 
there's nothing else like it. And I really, really want to listen to more of it. And I'm so glad that the second part of your conversation has come out because I can't tell you how much I enjoyed it. Oh, that's lovely. Also, we can report back the sexiest fruit has been determined Mm. or at least one of the sexiest fruits. Miles, do you want to do the reveal? Uh, Yeah. uh, That was the worst drum roll ever. Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm not even going to attempt it again. There you go. There we go. Uh, So the sexiest fruit is the peach, Mm. as mentioned. Mm. Uh, I nominated that on our last episode. And uh, as it turned out, we went back and listened to the first part of Bob's conversation with Marika on Ambient Conversation. And Bob also went with the peach. So I mean, it's a strong contender, although late breaking entrant strawberry mm. got a strong showing. Yeah. As soon as we stopped recording the last episode, like when we talked about peaches and pears and stuff, (laughs) um, the conversation that I decided to name the episode after for no reason, uh, (laughs) we got the call. And as soon as we did, I was like, fuck strawberries. And then... I listened to the episode with you and Marika and Marika was like strawberries. And I was like, yes, thank you. Yes, I know. Sexy fruits. They're a sexy fruit. That's (laughs) we're talking about it again. Second episode in a row. Maybe we'll name this episode after sexy fruit, too. Who's to say? Mm. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much to everybody for listening to all of this nonsense. All of our nonsense here. All of our nonsense elsewhere. Bob and I have a lot of nonsense to go around and uh, we we spread it liberally. So thank you so much for your support, for your listenership and for everything that you do. And we will see you here once again in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. You're all a bunch of beautiful, sexy peaches. Bye. The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Aiden English's opening number is about him singing like a dream. It's a little subdued. It, what is that like from? He, I don't know. My knowledge of musicals is like the big five, maybe, and then some weird ones. And that's kind of it. Like for a theater nerd, I don't have a wide array. What are the big five? Well, I mean, I'm just like saying five that you could pick out that you're like, oh, that's a really big. Like, I know Phantom very well. I know okay. Lim is very well. Cats. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Oh, God, yeah. I love cats so much. <laughs>
<laughs> I don't care how little sense Cats makes. I fucking love Cats. Look, I watched the 1998 theatrical oh, production, and that rules. shit ruled. <laughs> yeah, I watched it at the start of the pandemic, and I was like, oh, fuck yes. Cats rules. This podcast is a pro-Cats podcast. <laughs> this is a pro-Cats podcast. <laughs>